Good morning, everyone. My name is Han Deng. I'm a partner in the transportation industry group at Reed-Smith in New York. Uh, very delighted to be here today with our four uh, distinguished panelists. Uh, Andrew Sohate from DNB, Evan Cohen from First Citizens Bank, Erlen Sommerfeld Haig from Oceanis, and Jason Bronstein from Hudson Structure Capital. Uh, to kick off the panel, uh, I would like to ask my panelists to introduce themselves and their organization and let us know what sort of products their financing platform offers. Um, so, Evan, uh, we know in 2022, First Citizens Bank acquired CIT, and uh, this year your bank also acquired uh, $123 million uh, shipping loan portfolio from HSBC. Uh, could you let us know about First Citizens Bank and what kind of products it offers? Of course. Um, thank you for having us, Ms. Han. Um, I'm very happy to see the First Citizens logo up there. So some of you may miss the CIT logo that was around for a while, but we're happily part of First Citizens Bank. And even more happily, doing the traditional business we always did at CIT. So that is senior lending, conservative, reliable for standard assets for our clients in certain geographies. And First Citizens has been very supportive of that. So pleased to be part of that new system. And we're seeing the usual business. I'm sure we'll get into that as the conversation goes. And one good example of that support has been the HSBC portfolio acquisition you mentioned. So we were able to buy some of the HSBC book in Athens, one of our core markets. And that went very smoothly. It was supported well from all levels of first citizens and happy to look at the next one. Thank you, Evan. Uh, Andrew, uh, congratulations on DNB's uh, $900 million restructuring of the Dutch shipping company Varun this year. Uh, could you let's not, let us know more about your current portfolio and products? Sure. So I think um, you know, we, we certainly offer a similar product from a more traditional um, kind of first lien debt uh, product that sort of Evan and First Citizens offer. I think where we perhaps are a, a, a bit different um, is that I think you know, the way that we view uh, our sort of approach towards covering clients, I think you know, that really is trying to offer um, the full corporate and investment banking product suite. So that's everything from kind of your traditional kind of first lien um, mortgage loans um, you know, all the way to, to certainly on the, on the bond side, that's an area where we've been really active. Um, and, you know, we offer lease financing and, and of course, uh, helping clients to sort of raise equity. So I think the approach that we bring towards that client coverage is, is more than just uh, lending. I think that's certainly one product, but I think we, we like to sort of view it as being able to sort of be a bit more diverse, which I think certainly is helpful um, in an environment like today, which I'm sure we will get into, but when you have sort of this kind of longer, uh, higher for longer rate environment, I think being able to do more than just um, provide that first lien loan um, is, is something that I think is, is helpful. 
Thank you, Andrew. Uh, so I, I got a message from Nicholas to say that uh, the, the, the technology panel is now at the library second floor. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, er Erland, as a new ship finance platform, uh, can you tell us more about your platform and products? We, uh, in Oceanians, we act as advisors for ship owners and shipping investors looking to, uh, to finance their assets. We facilitate debt um, and mezzanine from uh, banks, from leasing houses, and from alternative debt providers. During the last summer, I mean, the, the pricing that we uh, structure on the, this financing, that varies with the risk, but over the summer, we have had uh, low twos from both leasing houses and from uh, banks with limited recourse um, in the PCTC segment and then the dry bulk segment for, um, for new buildings and for vessels on the water. So as opposed to some belief that we only work with alternative uh, debt, we also work uh, more than half of the volume is than leasing houses and bank financing. Thank you. And finally, moving on to Jason. Um, Hudson Structure Capital uh, is an asset manager in the transportation and insurance sectors. Uh, that targets mezzanine level returns. Could you uh, please tell us more about Hudson's portfolio and the investment strategy? Sure. So Hudson was founded in 2016 um, to focus on the mezzanine level of risk in the insurance and transport sectors. So we think about that as everything in between what the banks are doing and operators' equity. Um, last year, we also acquired a manager called Northern Shipping Funds, um, who's been successfully operating a, a lending strategy in shipping uh, for over 15 years. So our primary product today is an asset-based lending strategy um, and leasing. Um, and, you know, it's basically slightly more expensive than some of my bank colleagues up here, uh, but competitive in terms of structure. And perhaps what we're best known for is speed and predictability of execution. Um, our portfolio is about a billion dollars in ship finance today um, across every, basically every subsector, uh, including offshore. Thank you, Jason. So I would like to open the discussion on the first topic. Um, as we all know, this, there is a fair amount of economic uncertainty globally, uh, high inflation, high interest rate environment, also this year, we have seen a lot of extreme uh, climate conditions. Um, so my question for Evan and Andrew is, you know, we have seen lower levels of activities in IPOs, M&A, and, uh, 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 and bank lending. So do you think, does this mean that the investment in shipping has been lowered overall? Want me to go first? Yes, you do IPOs. So, so, so I think um, my, my colleague Ted just made a comment on, on the previous uh, interview around sort of where the markets are um, relative to the sort of historical past and how strong they are. So I think that's certainly something that I think clearly um, I would and I think most of my fellow panelists would echo. But I think, you know, when, when, you, when you take a look at um, 
what that means for balance sheets in general, and I think um, particularly on the tanker side, and, and, and certainly at least in, in recent past, um, on the dry bulk side as well, I think you know, th these markets, and, and when you look at the, uh, the order book to fleet ratios there, I think there's um, quite a strong market um, recently, and I think that that has resulted in uh, quite a, a, a strong balance sheet um, being generated in terms of where a lot of these businesses were coming from in the past. So I think when you think about um, CapEx in general, um, and I, I, I referred to that order book to fleet ratio being where it is, I think that that's largely uh, driven by, by a few things. I think certainly um, interest rates are, are clearly a factor. Um, we, all, we all sort of know about that. Um, I think that when you look at uh, a lot of the, the discussion around uh, alternative fuels, um, the energy transition in general, I think that that has, of course, um, created some uncertainty with regards to new build orders, but you know, perhaps that is, that is changing slightly. Um, and I think that you know, ultimately when you look at uh, the capital markets in general, um, there's clearly a lot of geopolitical factors that are that are uh, that are are, are taking shape there. Um, unfortunately, this weekend as well. But I think that, you know, generally speaking, um, there has really not been a huge need uh, for many of these businesses, and especially when they're doing so well, to have to actually go out and and hit the capital markets uh, and, and and raise capital to fund some of these projects that um, may potentially get pushed out. Yeah, thank you. And I'm on, I think we're on the other end of the spectrum. So our biggest re problem has been with all this cash getting repaid. So a lot of the senior lenders or a lot of the capital providers face that. So ship owners have cash and they repay, repay us faster than normal. It's always nice to get repaid. And so it's a luxury problem. Um, but from the, the larger macro point of view, there's still the same number of ships on the water. There's still the, the uh, tenor of loans are still five years. The banks still move in and out, and owners tend to change. So there is a lot of business for us to do. So this is not for uh, Mr. Brady, but <laughs> there's an advantage to being relatively small. So at one and a half billion dollar book, we're looking for 20, 25 transactions in a year. There's a lot of transactions to do for us, so we we get we we have our choice of deals to do. So that's not really impacting us. It's it's getting repaid and finding the next deal. Yeah, I think I think maybe also just to, to echo that point, um, you know, as a bank, right? Our our primary business is is making loans, and I think that when you've got an interest rate environment and you you don't have uh, prepayment penalties on your debt, that's certainly something that we're we're seeing as well. So this year, are the companies using more cash at hand um, rather than um, borrowing? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so thank, thank you both. Um, uh, my next question is for uh, Erland and Jason. Uh, that's actually the topic of our panel in this evolving landscape of shipping finance. What are the main sources of capital being offered to the market now? I go first. Sure. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, in fear of uh, repeating it, uh, what has been said at many panels and by many now, also Jürgen Leon uh, to begin with, that overall the depth case is extremely attractive for shipping for all the reasons that have already been stated, but low shipbuilding capacity, inflationary pressure on new buildings creates natural choking of uh, on the supply side, which is, and also the lead times makes it, uh, it adds so much risk to making orders. Uh, LNG and container really, and some warships actually that hasn't been mentioned is taking up so, the, so much of the shipbuilding capacity. So uh, it's this old scenario where when you don't, uh, the banks are all over you when you don't need them, and that's exactly where we are now, really. The lenders, it's over capacity of lenders in the market, and the owners are completely dictating the terms. We've seen um, the, uh, the owners are really struggling to fill the loan request and to, to make sure that they can cater for all the relationships with the banks that they want to preserve for uh, when uh, things get tough again. The sources of capital are pretty much the same, but we see private, um, private equity is taking market share really from banks. Less regulated, they're able to offer terms at lower margins than before, so really, uh, the overlap is uh, increasing and we only see that going to increase further, really. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I can just add that um, it's interesting. I mean, that companies do need less debt uh, today given the strong earnings environment, uh, especially in tankers, but at the same time, asset values are extremely high, so um, the total capital raised by shipping hasn't, it's been relatively flat, um, but the, the share um, of non-bank lenders, you know, Chinese leasing included, went from only 10% of the total capital raised in, you know, 10 years ago um, to about 50% of the total market now. Um, so I think, you know, banks are quite conservative today in what they can do. Um, there's been margin compression across the board, so uh, non-bank lenders are increasingly competitive um, and offer a lot more flexibility. And when you look at, you know, comparable markets, the U.S. middle market, for example, there's a very institutionalized market of non-bank lenders that make up 90% of the, the financing requirement. Um, I don't think shipping is ever going to get that, you know, institutionalized with the investment banks just printing product and distributing it to uh, you know, specialty lenders, but uh, it is certainly heading in that direction. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, shifting to the topic of alternative financing, uh, Ireland, um, as an alternative ship finance platform, um, how is uh, Oceanis uh, working and collaboration with traditional shipping banks and uh, leasing houses? Yeah, thank you. Uh, as mentioned, we work as much with leasing houses and with uh, with banks as we do with alternative creditors. I think uh, this term about calling both leasing houses and the debt funds as alternative creditors is becoming more and more mainstream. As mentioned, their loan products really are more and more overlapping. Uh, alternative credit is not really as expensive as kind of the the, uh, it's not like the name suggested, but that's at least the, uh, the, common, um, the common association with it. Um, we have very good relationships with banks. We have been involved with actually developing some, some loan um, strategies with some banks. 
going into new regions and into uh, to new asset classes where we have been consulting them over the year before they've actually uh, executed on these policies. Um, I think we enjoy these relationships because we um, provide recommendations really, so we want to be, rather than pushing any project towards the lender side, we work with lenders on um, on long-term basis where we uh, are asked for recommendations and uh, that puts us in a light where we uh, have to be very comfortable with providing that recommendation. We can also come back to that with the sanction checks, etc. We have time for that as well. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, and Jason, um, so at Hudson, uh, how uh, do you adapt to the needs of a smaller and med uh, medium-sized ship owners uh, to finance their older vessels? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess that's two questions. So first, we have an asset-based approach. So rather than focusing on specific names or recourse against larger fleets of ships, we you know, heavily underwrite the specific characteristics of the ships that we finance. Um, everything from the vessel design to the maintenance quality, et cetera. And we have a, a team of naval architects internally that you know, help us do that. Um, in terms of older ships, um, you know, we have a commercial approach. We look to be down to scrap levels when a ship turns 20 years old. Uh, rather than down to zero when the ship is 15 or, or 17. Um, I think, you know, we, we, um, we finance ships of all ages, but we do like that part of the market because then you're financing a larger percentage of scrap value rather than in a new building, and scrap has much less volatility than underlying ship values. Thank you. Um, so moving on, I would like to open the question to all the panelists on the hot topic in the industry, uh, green shipping, decarbonization, alternative fuel. Um, so, you know, recently the, the banks behind the Poseidon principles raised their targets in line with the IMO's goal of achieving night zero emissions in shipping by 2050. So what has been the impact of Poseidon principles and other sustainability policies on ship finance in your uh, experience? Maybe I can go first. I think, you know, the Poseidon principles are a means for us to sort of quantify um, the, the emissions level uh, of our portfolio. I think, you know, this, this is one tool that we use to do that. It's obviously a very important tool. It's something that I think we, of course, have uh, lofty um, net zero ambitions, which uh, we, we, we aim to achieve. And I think that this is just one means for us uh, to do so. And I think that when we look at um, new transactions, when we, look at, when we look at our portfolio in general, I think that is certainly a tool that we use to kind of quantify um, the emissions. I think the other um, sort of trend, this is certainly nothing new, but I think it's, it's, it's a noteworthy trend, um, is really on, on both the, the sustainability-linked side. So we have seen, uh, of course, a, a large um, shift in terms of uh, new financings that sort of implement uh, sustainability-linked KPIs, where 
there's an actual quantifiable um, t target and, 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 and score that can be used to sort of measure uh, whether or not a, uh, a, a business was successful in achieving those uh, ambitions. And I think that there's, of course, a um, sort of benefit and, and, and penalty to, to whether or not those are, uh, those are met. And I think that that's something that we clearly have uh, goals around implementing in uh, many of our financings. Yeah, thank you. Interesting, the interesting thing for me, at least the past year, it's the um, sustainability has been part of all the conversations now. So it is a normal part of the conversation when you talk to a new client or an existing client. Um, we tend to inspect a fair number of vessels as, as part of our due diligence when they're onboarded and as a continuing process. And interestingly, that inspection process also includes uh, sustainability ratings of different, more than the traditional ones the next time steel needs to be replaced. So that is just embedded now in the conversation. Um, Yeah, and in interestingly, we are also now joining some banks like DMB and the HSBC portfolio and seeing these, sustainab these uh, sustainability KPIs as part of the documentation. Now, to be honest, they're not the most strict things in the world, but it's just you're only going to add to them going in the future, not, not take away from them. So it's, I guess that's my message. It's just really part of the discussion now, every discussion with an owner. Um, I can only confirm that speaking to banks, we know that they spend uh, a significant amount of time discussing this with all the Poseidon signatory banks. They are under a lot of internal pressure to, to increase their climate alignment score. I think or it is really for onboarding of new clients. I think they face the biggest hurdles where it becomes very easy to decline a onboarding of new client unless they would increase their average climate alignment. But for the existing clients looking at new loan requests, then the existing clients have so many more levers to pull that there might be cross-selling opportunities for the bank, then the bank might be willing to forego that it decreases their climate alignment. And you can also switch and um, you have more some variability with regards to which assets you finance. So it's, I think it's really onboarding of new clients, getting into the relationships with new banks where the most significant factor is seen. I think um, the jury is still out on, on the banks' side how they're actually going to monitor and how they're going to sort of police the action plan of the owners because this is what they will have conversations about how to um, increase or to be in line with the trajectory for that uh, relevant asset, then they need to, uh, to make alterations to the vessels. And how that's really going to be informed, enforced, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to jump in. So first, I, I hope we never gave you that as an excuse. So we, <laughs> <laughs> then we were just being polite, so that wasn't it. But for us, the owners being compliant with the regulations is first and foremost. Second, that the asset maintains its ability to earn money so the owner can prosper and we get repaid. And so we had a, a, car, a fellow from Cargill here, so 
they're not going to charter ships that are not compliant. So all these things are coming together. So we're concerned about compliance with regulations, being good law-abiding corporate citizens, but getting repaid. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the, you know, the regulatory environment certainly makes it more complicated to underwrite vessels and, and think longer term about, you know, what the commercial prospects are for, for certain vessels as they get older. Um, you know, I think what we have observed is related to the retrenchment of, of bank capital from the market. Um, you know, banks in a, in a business that's already um, facing reduced profitability because of regulation, driving a lot of banks out of the market, the banks that are left are now focused on the newest technology, um, the greenest technology, newer vessels, um, and competing even more for this small subset of vessels where still the future of propulsion is, is relatively uncertain. So it's, it's very hard to get deals done on, on, on those types of vessels today with limited new buildings. Um, and, and so it just, the net effect is less capital available for ship owners. To, to maybe add one point, I think certainly as it relates to, you know, the topic of, of, of green shipping, you know, alternative fuels, we're of course spending a lot of time uh, on, on that. I think certainly our approach, Jason made the comment earlier about you know, taking an asset-based approach. I think we, we, we of course, uh, you know, view things similarly, but I think another way that we view the world is to, and especially when it comes to um, some of these green initiatives, alternative fuels, um, is to really partner uh, with with people. I think you know we're we're a bank that's been around for a long time. I think many of our clients um, have have been clients of the bank for certainly decades, and I think that that sort of trust that we've established, uh, hopefully two ways. I think that that's an approach that we take towards um, that specific point. Thank you all. So I would add my, uh, my own view uh, on the impact of Poseidon principles on me. So now everywhere I go, if I see the statute of uh, Poseidon, I would uh, pray uh, and pray for greener shipping. Um, so um, moving on to the next topic, also I would like to open the discussion uh, to all the panelists. Um, that's another hot topic in our industry. Uh, the U.S.-U.K. sanctions, KYC, and uh, compliance. Um, you know, in light of the sanctions imposed by the G7 and other allied countries against Russia, um, what steps have your organization taken to increase the due diligence and uh, uh, sanctions compliance? And uh, and as you see that uh, these new sanctions are not just from the U.S., but have spanned many regions. Uh, have you seen an increased awareness regarding sanctions compliance from your customers? Yeah, sure. I think, you know, generally it's safe to say we've seen, you know, an increased uh, focus on this topic, certainly from both, you know, the bank's perspective as well as from our customers. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a saying we have, which is that you know, K KYC uh, compliance is, is our, our license to operate. I think without that, um, you, you, you can't do anything. So I think clearly an increased focus. I think there's a lot of self-sanctioning. You're focused on sort of where vessels are trading uh, and with whom. 
and uh, certainly sort of up and down the organization as well as on the, on the client side, um, there's a heightened focus on it. Yeah, for us it's um, equal, equally focused. Uh, for us it's been a key focus. We've moved it right up front in the process. Uh, we'll immediately do a KYC or a sanctions check. We have established protocols all the Russian sanctions for tankers and for non-tankers, and immediately if one of the clients calls on a Russian port, we run it through the system. Being proactive about it has created a lot of confidence from our bank, so we're addressing it head-on and quickly. And the really good surprise has been the clients have been very professional and efficient about it. So. They'll already have their own legal report. They'll have all the cargo documents we need to see. And I have not seen it drag on. Maybe one case has dragged on a little bit where we had to go back a second round. But it's been implemented, it's been paid attention to, and it has not been a big headache for us. Um, I think th there are very, there are different approaches to this. With some financiers, they take uh, a more risk-averse um, stance than what the sanctions on paper would imply. They don't want uh, any of their vessels to trade uh, Russia. So, I mean, some of the institutions take uh, more precautions than what only being compliant with sanctions. Uh, as the sanctions are becoming more and more complex with price caps rather than only banning a cargo from a geographical area. It's also becoming more um, cumbersome to monitor and to really be sure that um, th your borrowers are um, acting as per your instructions. Uh, there is also a change of the whole ship-owning terrain with the Gulf region now. You, there are changes in the fundamental changes to where the ship owners are based and which commodity companies are actually moving the cargo, so that's another area where you need to uh, spay, uh, yeah, be extra attentive. And here comes in also what we, or what I alluded to earlier, that we, in order to uh, recommend any deal to the lenders, we of course need to understand where the money is coming from, the UBO, and sometimes there it's actually uh, you can say all you want about the KYC software, etc., but sometimes it's as easy as just understanding the economics in how that funds have been created. In some cases, it doesn't really make sense based on what the companies are explaining, and then you need to understand that uh, something might be off, um, and that might not always be picked up by sort of KYC document pushers. It's about applying common sense to understanding where the funds are coming from and the, the structure of the borrowing group. Yeah, I think for us, um, up front, it's, it's much easier to analyze how vessels have been trading and, and consider um, trades that we, we might not prefer to have in the portfolio. Um, but on an ongoing basis, um, is what, you know, we, we, we're very careful. We track every vessel in the portfolio on a daily basis. So we identify high-risk port calls, ship-to-ship -ship transfers, um, you know, trends that would suggest AIS spoofing, which we haven't had, but we do monitor for it. Um, and then we, you know, do a, um, a detailed compliance review of any trade that involves a high-risk port call. Um, 
so we look at everybody that's touched that cargo and, and the ownership of the cargo uh, up to the UBOs. Um, you know, uh, we often require a legal opinion. And I would agree with Evan. It's been surprising that um, most, you know, really all of our clients have been very professional. A lot of them, when we ask the question, have the package ready to go and deliver it, and then it's easy to review and just say, okay, this is fine. Um, and then I think, you know, the ones that would prefer not to ask those questions naturally would not seek out our financing anyway. Yeah, thank you. Uh, now I see uh, we are right on time and we have four minutes left. So I would like uh, each panelist to, to give their closing remarks. So, you know, look at the historical facts and trying to predict uh, the future. I would be interested to hear now that 2023 is quickly coming to this fourth quarter and how this year uh, met your expectations and uh, if you have any crystal ball for shipping finance in 2024. Um, so I, I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, but I think, you know, certainly for, for DMB, I think 2023, it, it has been a strong year. I think, um, you know, if I could think about, um, you know, what, what we might be talking about uh, in, in a year from now, I think, you know, the, the easy answer is probably some of the, the, the geopolitical tensions that um, we've, we've all seen over the past few years and sort of how that has impacted uh, the markets in general. But I think actually um, the point I would expect to, to, to sort of focus on um, is really around capital allocation. I think especially in this sort of uh, higher for longer interest rate environment. We talked about this earlier, but when you have um, strong cash flow, free cash flow generation, strong balance sheets, uh, largely across um, the various sectors, you know, especially on the, on, the, on the public company side where there are special dividends, there's, there's, there's sort of fixed stable dividends. I think that low leverage uh, strengthening of the balance sheet that we've seen um, over the past uh, couple of years, I think it will be uh, interesting to sort of see how that plays out in a uh, in a higher for longer interest rate environment. That was also a, a good year for us. We'll do 25, maybe a few more transactions. We'll even add about 700 uh, million of new business. So I'd love to. So that's not big for some of the large institutions, but for us, it's quite good. We're a team of less than 15 people. So we're gonna keep doing what we're doing, focusing on the asset type, dry bulk, container, tankers, and on a core group of clients. So do some moderate growth with them and hopefully add a few more. So if we see an opportunistic chance like the HSBC portfolio, very pleased to look at that. In terms of how we react to the markets, I think we, the markets have been firmer where we focused and we expected and it looks like it may maintain that way for a few months longer. Okay, and everybody, I'm sure there'll be a container panel where people will predict when it's gonna soften, but that's going a few months further into 24 than people expected. So we watch for that because for us, visibility of cash flow and how we're gonna get repaid uh, is important. That's it. Thank you. I think we will continue doing what we've been doing, developing uh, good relationships with the lenders, uh, advising ship owners on a variety of structures, uh, 
the tendency has been towards more new building mandates over the last uh, year, both uh, on offshore side as well as uh, PCTCs and container. I think that will continue. Uh, we've also put together a mezzanine product where we can then offer that directly to the LPs of funds. So I think that is also an area where we can grow more in the coming years. Um, in terms of looking sort of ahead on how things can develop, I mean, we, we have a funny timestamp from last year at this conference where the panel was asked how the inflation would influence uh, business. I think I was the only one saying that the inflation would have an impact on uh, the business. The, the banks uh, back then said it wouldn't really matter that much. Uh, on going forward, I think the banks will probably have see more headwind. I mean, the real estate has started to touch European banks. That will only continue in the coming year, I think. And private capital coming in and competing with banks who have a variable components, you will have large private equity pockets favoring the debt side, seeing that they can have better or better risk-protected returns there compared to the equity side. So I think that's only going to grow as we uh, remain in this environment with higher for longer interest rates. Yeah, I think uh, this year has been, been a record for us. Um, we've seen about $8 billion in, in new opportunities. Um, and, you know, I think going forward, especially with higher for longer interest rates, the gap between non-bank and, and bank capital is, is significantly uh, lower than it was several years ago. Um, so we expect the non-bank market to continue to grow, and um, we're not looking to grow our portfolio exponentially, but we do uh, believe we're well positioned to continue to expand. Thank you all, and uh, we are right on time. And thank you, Andrew, Evan, Erland, Jason, for your valuable insights. Thank you, Nicholas and Capital Link. Have a wonderful day.